WBUR Podcasts, Boston. I'm Daryl C. Murphy, and you're listening to The Common. Associate Professor with UMass Boston's Department of Conflict Resolution, Human Security, and Global Governance, Karen Ross. Thank you for coming through to The Common. Thank you for having me. So, Karen, we want to have a discussion with you about how to talk or not talk about the war between Israel and Palestine. Now, this is a tough topic for a lot of people for a lot of reasons. There's outrage toward Hamas for their brutal attack on Israeli civilians, outrage toward the Israeli government for its oppressive treatment of Palestinians, and now its retaliation for Hamas's attacks. Uh, And this retaliation has led to civilian deaths. And of course, there is the grief of those who have lost loved ones through all of this. We at The Common are hoping to give people an idea of how to begin to think and talk about what's happening in a productive way. Mm-hmm. And so we reached out to you because not only are you an expert in conflict resolution, but your work includes published research on Israel and Palestine. And we're hoping that we can put a finer point on the discussion today. So having said that, thank you very much for taking the time to come through to the comment. We really, really, really appreciate it. Absolutely. Happy to be here. So to start us off, tell us how you came to this work. Okay. So I come to this work in two ways. One is from my academic side. You introduced me. So I do a lot of research on dialogue and dialogic processes and the kind of impact they can have on the social change and, and building a more positive Um, society, Mm -hmm. and also as a practitioner. So I've done a lot of work facilitating and organizing dialogues in Israel and Palestine and related to uh, Israel and Palestine, but also here in the United States around political polarization, also around other issues. What exactly makes discussion about Israel and Palestine so contentious, particularly if you're not directly affected? I think there's a couple of things. One is even people who are not directly affected look at this conflict and see how it relates to them, how it can relate to them, Mm -hmm. whether you're seeing that from a political lens, whether you're seeing that from the lens of kind of your own religious identity, or even just thinking about like, you know, the possibility of the United States getting involved in this in ways that go beyond kind of statements by politicians Mm -hmm. and how that might affect us. That makes it harder to talk about in a kind of non-emotional way. Mm-hmm. And also because tensions are so high and there's so much looking at other groups as causing this and, and so on that it's hard to see beyond our own perspectives. Mm-hmm. Now, you mentioned groups, mm-hmm. which brings to mind identity. What's the role of identity in how we approach this conflict right now? So, I mean, identity is a huge part of this conflict, Mm -hmm. Um, religious identity and national identity, political identity, the piece that is also, you know, both makes this challenging, but is also something to think about in terms of how we can potentially engage in 
more productive conversations is remembering that identity groups that someone belongs to are not necessarily reflective of what they believe mm -hmm. um, and not seeing this all as a binary, right? So if you're Palestinian, you must support what Hamas did as part of Palestinian liberation. If you're Jewish or Israeli, that you are in favor of, you know, wiping out the Gaza Strip right now. I'm seeing some of this in the discourse, right? Like mm -hmm. just, and it's something that happens in periods of heightened tension and, and violence that there's a lot of like generalizing about other people mm -hmm. um, and that makes it harder to engage in conversation. But at the same time, I think, you know, it offers us an opportunity to remember that we're all more than just who we're born to and, and what religion we follow or, you know, what our passport says. And that's an opportunity to learn maybe also what some of the nuances are and what people believe and why this is so difficult for everybody. Mm-hmm. Well, what are the first steps people can take to begin to engage this, to think through it, and to start talking about it? One of the first things that people can do is think about what they want to get out of these conversations. Mm -hmm. So, you know, some people might really be looking for information because it's a very longstanding conflict. And, you know, a lot of people don't necessarily, it's not something that they've necessarily been following um, or, you know, aware of up until the last 10 days. And so they might be looking for information. So that's one kind of conversation. Some people might feel a need to share with others kind of what they're experiencing right now, their emotional state, thinking about what they're hoping to get out of conversations and related to that, then who they might turn to. Mm -hmm. um, thinking about like who's in the inner circle, what you're asking of people who are most directly affected I wouldn't go up to someone Palestinian whose family's in Gaza right now and, and say to them, hey, can you tell me a little bit more about yeah. the history of what's Break happening here? Yeah, me, exactly. You know, but there's other people you might ask. Mm -hmm. Then if you're having a conversation with someone who you have a relationship with, who you, you know, maybe you work with or your neighbor or someone who you're close friends with and you you don't see eye to eye on some of these things, then, you know, I think there's a space for a conversation there, but helpful to think about you know, why are we going to have this conversation now? Like, what's our goal in having it? Are you, if you're going to try to change someone's mind, I think highly unlikely to yeah. happen, especially right now when tensions are so high, but, you know, maybe to try to better understand why people feel the way they do and kind of where their beliefs come from, that could be a much more productive conversation. We're going to take a quick break, but we'll be right back. The world's clean energy future relies on ancient elements still in the ground. Without mining, there will not be a clean energy transition. But pulling them out of the ground comes at an environmental and human cost. Mining is intrusive, but the results are the building blocks for products that we use every single day. I'm Meghna Chakrabarty. Join me on point for Elements of Energy, Mining for a Green Future, five special episodes. Listen and follow On Point wherever you get your podcasts. Did you kill Marlene Johnson? I think you're one of the first people to have actually asked. From WBUR and ZSP Media, this is Beyond All Repair. 
a new podcast about an unsolved murder that will leave you questioning everything. Somebody should be in jail for murdering my sister. A woman who's never been believed. As long as they think I have done this, then they're not looking for who actually did this. And that's what makes it a cold case. No, it's a botched case. And a search for the truth, once and for all. Wow, it just gets more interesting. Beyond All Repair. Listen and follow wherever you get your podcasts. Be careful. You're digging in a place that's been very peaceful for a while. Do it anyway. Dig. And we're back with more from Karen Ross of UMass Boston. Can you talk to me about when a person should just simply avoid the dialogue? You know, maybe you need to talk or something, but this is just not the place. Or these are just not the folks. They're not going to hear me. What does that look like? Well, I mean, I think there are places where you might feel like sharing your story is not safe. Mm -hmm. Um, But also, again, thinking about like what you want to get out of a conversation, right? So when I think about dialogue, I really think about a space where people can share their stories and also feel like they're really listened to and understood. I don't know if that's possible right now. Maybe the dialogue that you need to be having right now is with, you know, kind of like we talk about in um, anti-racism work in the United States, like affinity groups, right? Mm -hmm. Like you need to be having those conversations with people who can hear you right now and, and help you feel like you've been understood or people who perhaps you have a strong relationship with. Mm -hmm. Um, So, you know, that probably feels a lot more comfortable than someone having a conversation with someone they've never talked to about these issues before. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And anger's high right now. How can we hold space for each other's anger? Yeah, well, there's a, a couple of things. I can talk about this a little bit from the perspective of, like, when I facilitate dialogues, we always set ground rules. Right. Yeah. At the beginning of the conversation, of course, if you're having a conversation with a neighbor or a coworker, you're not necessarily going to say, all right, here are the ground rules for this conversation. You might. Mm-hmm. But even if not, I think some of the things that we talk about in those ground rules are relevant to think about in those even just like one-to-one dialogues. One is speaking from your own experience, right? So, and your own personal experience. So, yes, there is a lot of anger, but that anger is also connected to other things, you know, maybe you know, sadness, guilt, helplessness, a lot of other emotions that people are feeling. And, you know, speaking from the experience of those emotions rather than kind of general categories is one way. And so we talk a lot in the kind of peace building and conflict resolution fields about I statements, right? So if someone's saying to me, you know, I feel really upset about this thing that happened at work that maybe I had something to do with, I can hear that they're upset. But if they say, you know, I'm upset at you because you did this thing, then now I feel defensive. So the I statements are one thing. And then also, I think in terms of listening, you know, we all have a tendency to kind of like half listen and start planning our response. Yeah. Um, So, (laughs) yeah, I mean, all of us are. I know I do it all the time myself. Like when I talk to my students and teaching them like facilitation and dialogue skills, things like summarizing back to someone what you heard from them, someone hears someone say back to them what they were saying, then they feel heard and they feel understood. And then 
your focus as someone who's listening is on really trying to understand what someone else is saying rather than trying to figure out how you're going to respond to it. And I think that can help make a conversation more productive, even if, and most of the time, it won't change someone's mind, right? But it can really help you better understand where someone's coming from, why they're feeling so strongly about this or any other issue. And um, through that understanding, you know, and kind of the larger sphere, create a space for starting to think a little bit differently about things. Mm-hmm. Getting to that place takes work. And perhaps it's a privilege for some people. I say all that to say that there's times where maybe dialogue is not going to fix anything. Can you just talk about dialogue not being something that's always accessible for people? Oh, yeah. If you are right now in the midst of experiencing death, destruction, you know, loss of life as you've known it, then dialogue's probably not the right thing for you right now. Yeah. I mean, I think... I believe with all my core in the power of dialogue, but I don't, it's not a panacea, right? Like it's not, it's not the answer to solving any conflict, but it is a way of creating connections across divisions. And those connections can then be important in figuring out potentially how to move forward together. Mm -hmm. But it, you know, it's not, it doesn't happen overnight. You know, a single conversation is a spark, but it's not what's going to, solve any crisis. Mm -hmm. How can we be more supportive for people who are directly impacted by this, those who have lost loved ones or lost contact with loved ones in the region? How can we be better at holding space? How, How can we be better for them? Well, I think, I mean, you mentioned holding space. I think holding space is really important. And what does that look like, holding space? Holding space looks different depending on who you're holding space for. Mm-hmm. Offering to go for a walk with someone so that they can maybe talk about something that's not at all related to what's happening in Israel and Palestine right now. Or to talk about how they are feeling. It might be reaching out and saying, hey, I'm thinking about you, um, and nothing more. It might be asking them, you know, do you want to talk about this? Or what could I be doing for you? Or it might be staying silent. Yeah. You know, I think we all have a lot to say, but sometimes yeah. there's a there's a time and a place to say things. And then, you know, maybe sometimes there's a time and a place that better not to say anything. Sometimes it's just you just show up and shut up. Right. <laughs> just yeah, be just there. Just be there. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Can you recommend any resources that people might turn to if they want to better understand dialogue? Yeah, absolutely. So there's actually an organization in the Boston area that I do a lot of work with called Essential Partners. Their website is whatisessential.org. They actually have a lot of resources on having dialogue on contentious topics, you know, across the political divide, about COVID. Um, The organization started as a group of people who are holding dialogues about abortion, and I teach a class on it at UMass Boston. Okay, okay. (laughs) Um, Get that plug in there. (laughs) Yeah, if there's there's anyone who is interested in that. Understood. Karen, thank you so much for coming through to the Common and talking to us about this. This has been really interesting and I think a lot of people will find it helpful, so thank you. You're welcome. Thank you for having me on. That's Associate Professor with UMass Boston's Department of Conflict Resolution, Human Security, and Global Governance, Karen Ross. 
And that's our show for today. Thank you so much for listening to The Common. If you want to get in touch with us, hit us up on Instagram at WBURTheCommon or send us an email at thecommon at WBUR.org. I'm Daryl C. Murphy, and I will talk to you tomorrow. 